Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Uh, so today we're carrying on the Rule of Life series about silence and solitude. And I was saying to Steve, like, I'm just really excited about this series. It's something that I've personally found uh, very transformational. Um, I'm going to share a lot of quotes today. And, and that's because I want to kind of through how I speak to us, I want I just want to demonstrate that this isn't some flash in the pan that we've just come up with now. This isn't something that um, John Mark Comer discovered afresh, you know, last year when he wrote a book or something. This isn't some new fad. Um, This is something that's deeply embedded in the heart of Christianity through the generations of the church. This is something that began with Jesus. This is something that the early church fathers, the desert fathers and desert mothers, tapped into and realized this is something that works and that and it and, it, and some of the great um, spiritual writers that we have today are great because they do these things and they realized that these are ancient pathways these are ancient practices and, and these spiritual writers that we have today guys like thomas merton or Henri Nguyen, they're not great because they discovered something new and exciting and fresh and and a new buzz they tapped into something that's ancient, that, that, that's historic, that's got such a wealth of tradition and a depth. Um, it's something that I've found supremely helpful. So about a year, when we went on holiday to Costa Rica, I was reading a book by a guy called Pete Scazzera, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and I remember sitting there on a balcony with a Costa Rican espresso really enjoying the moment just breathing deeply and just feeling life they have a phrase out there called pura vida and they have this like sign and that's just pure life and costa rica you know a place of um rainforests and everything it's almost like when you inhale you're, you're inhaling life you actually physically feel um the, the 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 throb and the hum of of vigor of life of vitality around you and i remember just reading uh pete Scazzaro just saying about like practicing silence and solitude like he he pastors a church in like queens new york it's like so kind of it's buzzing with life but in a completely chaotic and different way and i just remember kind of giving myself to this i was like this sounds boring silence and solitude seriously it sounds like dusty old kind of religious stuff but actually it's something that i found really helpful and i'm going to talk about why uh, all of this kind of personal anecdote isn't going in the blog, by the way. Um, but like the year that we've had as a family has been tremendously chaotic. It's been tremendously um, decentralising, destabilising. Um, so Nick being chronically ill, just you know, kind of trying to figure out how we parent Sarah, kind of discovering the kind of autism and it's not just anxiety or anything like that, but trying to live into that reality. And then obviously with my mom and then work has been tremendously brilliant, but really, really crazy. I've been like way out of my depth there as well. And all of these different voices, all these really, really um, substantial and important voices, they threaten to 
pull you in different directions. The, the, these are voices that will call you and that you want to run to. Um, but the best, the best way to be of help is to be completely centred in Jesus. Because these are voices that will um, shape life. These are, these are transformational voices. But they shape you in the wrong ways. Because they're crisis and chaos. They're disorientation. And the only place to live from is that in Christ. So when I talk about um, silence and solitude, and today we're, we're talking about encountering the self, it really is all down to, 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 to drill into that point of actually finding that stillness, that orientation within God, that reorientation within God, to, to learn, as like Pete Greig talks about, to be storied by God's story and not the narratives that are thrown at us from the world around us. And this is kind of where I want to go. And um, I, I just want to uh, recap. I love this. Like if Steve ever becomes famous and has memes, you know, like Brian Zand has the, the meme about like, God has always been like Jesus. We didn't know this until now, but now we do. I think kind of Steve's trellis thing, that, that will be the meme he's famous for. So Susie, when he writes a book... I, I said it here first, right? <laughs> so just to recap, I, lo I love this kind of description of the rule of life. Rule comes from the Greek for trellis. A trellis is a frame that enables a grapevine to grow upward, becoming more fruitful and productive. In the same way, a rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ and become more fruitful spiritually. And then Steve adds the kind of caveat that it, it, it removes certain aspects of these circumstances as well like we can be fruitful all year round in whatever soil in whatever circumstance and just to really double down so that we're certain and the reason why i'm kind of addressing this now will become apparent in a minute the rule of life is all about jesus uh, to be with Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to be a Jesus-like presence in this world. And so Steve, last week, as, as we were kind of introducing Silence and Solitude, Silence and Solitude confronts you. There's three encounters that will happen when you uh, start to engage with Silence and Solitude. You will encounter yourself. You'll encounter your false self. The self that you've been given, that you've been told that you are by all of the narratives in the world around you. You will encounter the enemy. When Jesus goes into the desert, into the wilderness for 40 days, he encounters the enemy. He encounters himself. He encounters his own temptations to seize power, to go the easy way. But the devil is in that space too. The enemies, another voice that is calling to you. But thankfully, you'll also encounter God. And as I'm learning from Karl Barth, every time you encounter God, that is a double-edged sword. Because you start to understand this is God, therefore all of this is not. And that's an aspect, uh, kind of, if, if we were Calvinists, we'd call it judgment. But we're not. Um, so we call it an encounter with God. But it kind of pairs away the things that you know are him. The, the life-giving, vital, invigorating things of God. And then you start to understand, well, all of these other things, all these other voices, they're not his. His sheep know his voice. So I'm going to start with this amazing quote from Henri Nguyen. I love Henri Nguyen. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. 
that's that's meme worthy solitude is the place of the great struggle the great encounter the struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving god who offers himself as the substance of the new self so just let that sink in the compulsions of the false self we live in a compulsive world we live where our passions our needs our desires our wants we are told to live into those things whatever you want whenever you want it go after those things and this is reinforced constantly you have an opinion self-publish don't have to go through edit editorial don't even think about it just you know Boom, you can have apps now that will publish it on every social media platform you have. If you want a coffee, we've got dozens. We've got dozens of types of coffee. Whatever you want, however you want to live your life, you are told to go after it. We live in a compulsive world. So what is silence and solitude? I just want to clear this up. Um, silence and solitude is not a spiritual veneer for misanthropy, for privacy, or for productivity. So let me just unpack these things. You know like how sometimes Christians, we as Christians, we'll be like, I'm doing a Daniel fast. And what we mean is we're doing a diet. But we want to sound spiritual, right? So we put a spiritual gloss on a diet, and we call it a fast. Silence and solitude can be used in the same way. I just don't like people. I'm going to practice solitude. <laughs> you know, it's really funny actually being at Steve's party last night because most of the conversations you get into, it's like, oh, I feel really socially awkward. <laughs> you know, like so many people are just like, like don't know how to act at pies. <laughs> so silence and solitude, I'm going to practice silence and solitude. I'm going to go and pray outside. I'm going to... That's not what silence and solitude is. The point, in other words, of the withdrawal into solitude and prayer is not contempt or for or frustration with others. That is not the point. I'm fed up with you lot. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to live into silence and solitude and I don't care what you guys do. This is what the Desert Fathers did after all. No, it's a desire to be ordered to people rightly. God does not save us from people, away from people, but for people and into a people. Behold, you who were once not a people are now a people. You are my chosen people, my peculiar, I love that, my peculiar people. People are the entire point of the work of God in Christ. And if our spirituality is going to be deserving of the name Christian, then it must be oriented towards people. Silence and solitude is not a spiritual, pseudo-spiritual activity to get away from people because you just don't like them. The whole point of it is, is to become connected with God, to get God's heart for people, to encounter people properly. If anything, this is the cure to hating people, to not liking being around people, to wanting to be off on your own. Likewise, silence and solitude is not for privacy. This is not 
the point where you, you find the voice of God and you're going to go that way to hell with the church, to hell with tradition, to hell with dogma and doctrine. I'm going to do my own thing. Me and God, we're good buddies. I've got this. Silence and solitude is not to basically empower your religious ego. But we can do this. We find it a lot. And probably the most difficult to get a head around. Silence and solitude is not for productivity. Now, if we're discovering rule of life and we're talking about it's to enable us to be more abundant, that sounds like I'm kind of cutting across the grain a bit, but let me just explain. <clears throat> we think of solitude as a place where we gather new strength, and this is the key bit, to continue the ongoing competition of life. Silence and solitude is not just a spiritual weekend to get you ready to jump back into the rat race. You see, businesses have cottoned onto this. My, the company that I work for, we've got this thing called Pause for Performance now. So built into our weekly schedule, literally from on high, they've blocked out a two-hour chunk of our Wednesday where we pause for, for, for performance, where um, you work on self-development, or do things for your mental health. Literally, pretty much anything goes. Like I know guys that go to the gym. Uh, people go, like our CEO goes for a run. I am doing, I'm learning Python coding <laughs> at the moment, so that's what I use that two hours for. But the thing is, is the modern world is full of spiritual gurus, of life coaches, of well-being folk on TikTok and Twitter telling you, you know, to be more productive, to be more successful. To be better, you need to, you know, de-stress. You need to declutter. It's like, what, how do you say it? Heige, hoog? That word. that We all know what it looks like, but no one knows how to say it. Like that for the soul. This newfound modern spirituality. Yeah, you know, people like Russell Brand and all these kind of spiritual gurus that self-promote on YouTube channels or, or whatever, saying about, you know, you need to disconnect for a while. And it's very true, but it's removed from the actual proper context. So my work gets it. My work understands that actually, if we allow our staff two hours per week to do whatever they want to relax, they will be happier and they therefore will be more productive. This came from one of the Team GB Olympic coaches. This guy came in to our business and did a whole, like, like 12 weeks of sessions about how, how do you execute in the moments of pressure? You know, this is a guy that's coached Olympians. How do you make them deliver on their skill set in crunch moments? Well, you make sure that they have these times of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude, when we talk about it in a Christian context, is not to improve our efficiency. It's not something that we take out of the good manager's efficiency toolbox. That's not what it's about. Silence and solitude is not a spiritual veneer because you hate people. Okay? Silence and solitude is not for you and God to go off and do the thing on your own. Silence and solitude is not to make you better at doing your work or becoming more efficient at running in the rat race of life. Silence and solitude is all about connecting with Jesus. Okay, so just in case we were unclear. <clears throat> Why do we need silence and solitude? 
you're going to see a lot of Ayn Rand, by the way. The Way of the Heart, <coughs> one of the best books like ever, and it's got about 80 pages in, so you can probably read it in a sitting. Our society is not a community radiant with the love of Christ, but a dangerous network of domination and manipulation in which we can easily get entangled and lose our soul. As, as rosier idea that we have of the world, as much as we may love the progress that the modern Western world has done, this is not a world saturated with the love of Christ. We cannot let our guard down and just be driven hither and thither by the flow of culture and of the world. Whether we like that or not, we are not going to find Christ if we just follow whatever trend is coming up. We are not going to be transformed into the image of Christ just by following and heeding any old voice, even our own good, well-meaning voice. It is a deliberate act to encounter Jesus and to be transformed by him, to live into that. If we want to bring heaven to earth, if we want to bring something different into this milieu, we have to bring it from a different place. Paul says, you know, fix your mind on things above. If that's what you want to live into and inculcate and to incarnate within this space, you have to live from a different place. Mm. I liken it to, um, you ever seen Freedivers? Mm. I don't know if any of you have seen Avatar 2. But you know, like Kate Winslet set a new record for a non-professional in holding her breath in freediving because she had to do it as part of the film. And she can hold her breath for seven minutes which is incredible. I can hold my breath for like two. Should I try it? No. See how many people pass out. <laughs> and the way that freediving works is that um, you hypersaturate your blood with oxygen. So you breathe and you huff and you huff almost to the point where you feel lightheaded because you're forcing that much oxygen into your blood so that your muscles and your brain continue to work long after like, oxygen has usually depleted the blood. And then you dive. You dive deep. And that's what it's like living in this world. We breathe the breath of heaven and then we dive deep into this world. Karl Barth, I had to say, Karl Barth had to feature if I was going to quote people. Love is the breath we breathe in the realm of evil when we have no breath left. We have to breathe deep the air of heaven, to bring something of heaven to earth. We live from that space. Silence and solitude is a spiritual practice of basically hyper-oxygenating our blood with the breath of heaven so that we bring something new into the depths of this world. The great desert father, Abba Moses, was asked for advice on how to survive in this world. And he said, go sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. Go into that space of silence and solitude and encounter God. And that will teach you everything you need to know to be able to survive in this world. Right, that quote. <clears throat> Let's 
Silence and solitude are essential practices to dial down the noise of all these competing voices that we get thrown at us that are compelling us to react to everything going on around us. You need to do something and you need to do something now. You need to buy something and you need to buy something now. You need to be interested in this thing and you need to do it now. You need to publish your thoughts now. Silence and solitude is how to tune down that noise. To pair things back, to discover true depth and deal with the voices that remain. To go back to the Henri Nguyen quote, Silence and solitude is where we struggle against the compulsions of the false self and encounter the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the true self. <coughs> there's, a, there's a book by a lady called Benedicta Ward. It's just a collection of the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Um, so I'm going to refer to one of the stories there. This is like one of my favourite stories. The story was told. There were three friends, serious men who became monks. One of them chose to make peace between men who were at odds. As it is written, blessed are the peacemakers. The second chose to visit the sick. The third chose to go away and be in quiet and solitude. Now the first, toiling amongst ten- contentions, was not able to settle all the quarrels. And overcome with weariness, he went to him who tended the sick and found him also failing in spirit and unable to carry out his purpose. So the two went away to see the one who had withdrawn into the desert. And they told him their troubles. They asked him to tell them how he himself had fared. He was silent for a while. And then he poured water into a vessel. And he said, look at the water. And it was murky. After a little while, he said again, see now how clear the water has become. And they looked into the water and they saw their own faces as in a mirror. Then he said to them, So it is with anyone who lives in a crowd. Because of the turbulence, he does not see his sins. But when he has been quiet, above all in solitude, then he recognises his own faults. The Desert Fathers were tremendously preoccupied with sins, per se. But we can recognise this, the turbulence of all of the competing voices that demand our time and attention, that demand us to react to whatever is going on. It's like being in the glass on the right. That's, that's our inner state, when we're always being driven by the next thing in the calendar, by the next big thing that we have to engage with. But silence and solitude is that pause, allowing things to settle. <clears throat> Through entering silence and solitude, We dampen the turbulence of life enough to recognise and truly hear the transforming word of God. It stills us to let us, to let the water of our lives settle so that we can see clearly. And we encounter ourselves. We encounter our true self. Not the the self that just gets pulled hither and thither, but the self that we really are if we're really still enough to start to recognise who we truly are. Now, I've got to talk about football. I have to talk about football. There's a concept in football called La Pausa, and I love this concept. Have you ever heard of this? La Pausa. Okay, it was, it's a concept that was, that was kind of generated by the, the great um, Spanish teams like Barcelona. Now, La Pausa literally means the pause. And what it, what it does, it, it, it's, it's a concept, so any player can practice it, but some players are particularly gifted at La Pausa. And basically, these players are able to dictate the game. 
players we think of, I'm going to throw names out, but probably go over lots of people, maybe one or two in the room. Sergio Busquets was one of the great masters of La Porza because a game of football is a frantic affair, really, isn't it? Mm. 11 people running around after a ball. But the great players have the presence of mind just to stop, pause, even for microseconds, to understand exactly what is going on around them. They do not allow the opposition to dictate to them how they must play. Instead, they set the tempo of the game. They decide the beats that the game runs on. They will speed up the game if they need to unsettle their opposition. But if their opposition is all, all over them, then they will slow the game down. The discipline to understand the moment and phase the game is at is a work of genius. I was joking with Luke that I was going to show a clip of a player from Manchester City called Kevin De Bruyne. Now he's one of the modern greats and he he has almost like supernatural capabilities of vision. If you've played football you'll understand this but to kind of be 40 or 50 yards running with a ball with players surrounding you and to be able to look up <laughs> is a big skill. But to actually pick a player out, to see a player running and to pick out that key pass, La Porza, understanding, being centred in the moment, having the self-discipline and the capability not to be dictated to by the game that is swirling around you, but to imprint and impose your tempo on the game. Great players can do this. Great teams did this. Barcelona, Manchester City, these teams are fantastic at La Porza. If you go on YouTube, for example, and you type in La Porza, you'll see loads about guys like Messi. How he executes La Porza in the middle of games. It's just fascinating. Silence and solitude are like La Porza. In the game of life, it's easy to get swept along and carried away and overwhelmed by what's going on. Silence and solitude are the breath, the moment, sometimes only microseconds of time just to recenter yourself, to dictate the tempo of the game and not be dancing to a different beat. That is the space where you set the tempo and don't allow other things to set your tempo. La pausa. Silence and solitude are La Porza, finding the tempo of God in the midst of the frantic tempo of the world around us. It is not reactive. The goal here is to be inactive, to enact something different, not to react to what the world is giving you and telling you to do, but to enact something from a different space. We are confronted with the false self, with the voices, the desires, the compulsions of the things that we think we want, the person that we think we have to be, or the, thing, the person we think we, ha we should be, that we are dictated to, we are told we have to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to have a certain career trajectory, to even have a career trajectory. La Porza. Jesus practised La Porza. I'm sure the great Barcelona managers realise this. This is where they got the idea from. Mark chapter 1. Please just read Mark chapter 1. This is right at the end. So as you might know, in the Gospel of Mark, everything is now. Immediately this happened. And immediately this happened. 
Mark Grammar, he doesn't have full stops. It's just a whole bunch of ands. And then this happened, and then this happened, and we did this, and then this happened, and then these people came, and we did this, and then Jesus did that. And he healed all of them, and then all of these people came, and Jesus did this. That is Mark 1. It's breathless. If you count the number of times now, immediately, and are used in Mark chapter 1, it's frantic. It's this frenetic pace. Jesus has called his disciples. He's healed an entire town. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. It's all going superbly well. The whole crowd, the whole town is ready. It's about to, it's like a powder keg about to burst with revival. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Just, just think of the grammar that is going on in Mark chapter 1. Immediately now, and, 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 all, 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 all. And then this wonderful sentence. In the early morning, while it was still dark, because you need to be told that it's still dark early in the morning, no, Mark is laying this down so you understand La Posa. Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place. He left, he went, secluded. All of these new words that are coming into the, the Mark's lexicography, and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. Mark is laying it down. They had to search to find him. The emphasis that's going on in the language. And, he, and they found him and they said to him, everyone, the emphatic nature of Mark's language, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. And he said to them, let's go somewhere else. I absolutely love that. Mm. Team Jesus is taking off. Jesus Ministries Inc. Man, they are going somewhere. They're about to publish a magazine. They've got a website. They've got their podcast. It is going places. Jesus takes a moment to be still. In all of the frantic ministry, all of the good stuff. People being healed. That's a good thing. Demon, less demons, that's good for everybody's day. Early in the morning, Jesus left. He went away to a secluded place, so far out that they had to search for him. And in that space, La Porza. He's not driven by the needs, the demands, the success. But Father, we wanted to see heaven on earth. This is it. This city, this town I'm in, this is heaven on earth. Father, what are you saying? And he said to them, let's go somewhere else, because this is why I've come. It feels kind of contrary. But it's amazing that Jesus takes that pause and clearly hears that he needs to move on. In spite of all of the good stuff, all of the voices that were telling him, this is exactly where you need to be, Jesus. This is the thing you came to do. You know, Isaiah, he said all this stuff would happen, and you're doing it. But Jesus takes that moment, that silence, that solitude, away from all of the competing voices, and centers on the voice that says, nope, we're going to go somewhere else now. I think that's tremendously difficult. When success is happening, that's a hard voice to ignore. Because you think success validates the thing that you've been doing. And then you just do more of it, right? 
He reaffirms his purpose and centres back on the voice of his father. Other voices would have told him to ride that wave. A few more weeks of this and the whole nation would have flocked to the banner. It had driven out the Roman occupiers and re-established God's chosen nation. But that was not the tempo or the beat that Jesus was reacting to. He was acting. He was enacting something, not reacting to everything else. Let us go somewhere else, for that is what I came for. And Jesus does this so many times. So many times on the cusp of greatness. Jesus left them because he knew that they were about to make him king. That's after the feeding of the 5,000. He thins out the crowd. He disappears time and again. He practices this solitude and silence just to keep reaffirming the voice of God and the direction that God wanted him to go in. So I'm going to finish off. Thomas Merton, another great. New Seeds of Contemplation, fantastic book. As long as you feel you have to defend the imaginary self that you think is important, you lose your peace of heart. For me, this is a great tell. As soon as you have to feel defensive, you're probably defending the wrong thing. As soon as you get your back up and feel like you have to throw your toys out the pram and demonstrate and remonstrate and protect, you're probably already on the wrong path. As we practice silence and solitude, we learn to discern all of the voices that shape us. And finally learn to discern the voice of God alone who shapes us into what we should truly be. Because we are made in his image. If we want to know the people that we should be, we look at Jesus. The true human. He calls himself the son of man. Which is actually just the idiom of saying the true man. The true person. As long as we are occupied with the fickle voices of compulsion, of success, of self-satisfaction, we'll have no rest from the endless demand. As Ecclesiastes says, it's a futile chasing after the wind. It's only as we truly encounter the false self, and then the true self in Christ, that we can be at peace and be a fruitful presence to those around us, to actually bring something of heaven to earth. I don't always get on with Augustine. I don't think he's bothered about it though, but I do love this quote. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We are made for God. We are made in the image of God. And the only place that we find peace and to become that non-anxious presence that Steve spoke about last week is when we are centered in him. To say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence, for God is love. Love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. Love is my true character. Love is my name. To find love, I must enter into the sanctuary where it is hidden, which is the mystery of God. <clears throat> it's only as we discover that quiet place, that secret place of solitude and silence, do we really perceive God and who we are truly made to be. There's a reason why in the um, Beatitudes, 
Beatitudes would be easy to take as a list of ethical commands, as a list of things to do. Live this way, live up to this benchmark. But there is a reason why littered through the Beatitudes, it's always about the God who sees in secret. In the very centre of the Beatitudes is Jesus teaching on prayer. Go in to the secret place that God alone knows. Because all of these other things will just be other voices telling you to live well, live, be a good person, great voices, but not the voice that can steer you, nor the voice that can enable you to actually be those things. The only thing it can come from is from our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You give us this day our daily bread. You're the one who forgives us our trespasses as we forgive those, who enables us to forgive those who trespass against us. You are the one who delivers us from the evil compulsions, from the evil voices, and leads us not into temptation, because his is the kingdom that we are living out, that we are enacting, not reacting, but enacting. And it is only his power and glory that can enable it forever, because it is substantial, it is enduring and ever. Amen.